This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today, it is actually three people's opinion. There's one guy, another guy, and a gal. That is John Willis and Nicole Sauce. They'll be joining me in just a minute for our first Tuesday chat. We call that our coffee chat. It was a live feed that we did starting at, I believe it was 9.30 Central Standard Time this morning is when we do those. And uh, so if you want to make sure you can catch live feeds like that, it would be a good idea to follow me on Telegram or other social media because I always announce those. And you can always check out tspclive.com, though this one didn't get on there today because, as you'll hear at the end of this one, I am running this as my podcast episode today because I'm tired this week and i got a lot of work to do yet. Anyway, I wanted to uh, come on real quick and just let you know some stuff before we drop into the live feed. Uh, number one, as I announced yesterday, Mile High Distilling has been added to the MSB. It's a really big win for us. That announcement will go out officially on social media, and it was on the blog this morning and all of that. So I just wanted to remind you of that. If you've been looking for a fuel still, you can check out Mile High Distilling. Uh, their work is absolute artwork, and it's something you really need to see. Next up is tomorrow I will actually have a guest on, and we'll be continuing our discussion about biochar. If that's something that's interesting to you, do not miss tomorrow's episode. With that, let's go ahead and drop on into the live feed with uh, Nicole Awesome Sauce, John Willis of SOE Tactical Gear, and myself. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to one of my favorite shows of the month, the first Tuesday coffee chat with Jack Spierko and John Willis. I'm Nicole Sauce. And, well, let's just start with this. Good morning, Jack. What? It, how was March for you, Jack? Tell us about that. The longest month that ever month. It was horrible. <laughs> I don't understand what happened. It was like it was just like I woke up and it was like Groundhog Day, except it was a month. It <laughs> yeah. was March forever. And I think it's the way the days landed. I actually ended up with like the Monday was the first, I think, of March. And then Friday was the 31st. So it was like work weeks, maximum work weeks in a month. I did like four podcasts more than an average month without doing any extra ones or anything. And it just felt like it went forever. And then a million things going on. My grill top got destroyed by a storm. Really? <laughs> yeah, not really the top. The uh, So I have a Blackstone, the bigger yeah. one. You know, you, you've got one too. Um, mm-hmm. I bought one of the diamond plate covers. Yeah. Instead of the stupid plastic covers that fall apart. Melt? Yeah. Melt? <laughs> yeah, that too. Uh, <laughs> the wind picked it up and like hurled it out our window. But those new uprights, we put it in the outdoor kitchen. It hit that and like wrapped around it. <laughs> So the upright didn't save the roof, it saved the window, because that thing, I mean, that thing was booking when it hit that. So we had, like, a couple of weeks ago, we had a storm with, like, 85-mile-an-hour straight lines. Yeah. So, yeah, that was March, and all my projects took longer than expected, typical stuff, and it's freezing one day and 100 degrees the next. So, yay, March. March. (laughs) It's more for me, because apparently some (laughs) team won something yesterday or something, I don't really know who because I don't pay attention to sports ball, especially college sports ball. <laughs> I didn't know it. I, I forgot March Madness, I guess. That's what that is, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I totally didn't pay attention to that. John, how was your March? Um, good. You know, what we need to point out is that this year is a quarter way over with. So accelerate and uh, just, you know, get the things done that you said you were going to get done or that you need to get done. Um, you're missing 25% of the year now at this point. And just like Jack, we were super warm. Everything put flowers on all the fruit trees and then it froze. Um, we had fixed the aquaponic system and then damn if it didn't freeze and crack again. Um, I have a brand new pump I have to put in because we had a pump just go down in the aquaponic system, but nothing's going to stop us. I mean, it's just normal shit. If we didn't have that happen, what would we talk about? I mean, everything's great. Everything Ooh. grows. There's nothing wrong. My sheep only eat what I want them to eat. You know, it, it, <laughs> it, what would, we wouldn't even have a show without some some chaos. Yeah, it's 100%. Never eat only what you want them to eat. That's not in their nature. No, the only thing worse than that is a goat. A goat is worse. Oh, no, you should, why not both? Well, goats oh, like perfect horses. idea. My understanding is goats like to walk on top of Porsches. And on anything, anything they like to walk on top of. But especially Porsches. Yeah, we had, we used to have, there used to be no fences here. So I would be in Nashville and I'd get a call from the sheriff and he's like, hey, uh, just letting you know, your goats are out by the road. And I said, are they on the cliff or are they actually in the road? He's like, oh, no. People just, you know, they're worried about the goats being on the cliff, but they've never got out. When no. we put fences up, that's when they started getting out of the field. <laughs> when there was no fence, they pretty much stayed where we wanted them to stay. Yeah. There was a challenge. It's challenge challenge issued. Yes. There's a lesson in there. Yeah. There that works no more, on people, too. No more go Well, you can't just shoot people. Like the goats, we can just end those goats. We can just eliminate the, the leader goat. Jack, what are your thoughts on that statement? I'm not so sure we can't shoot people. Maybe we shouldn't, but well, uh, an awful big word. He was like, <laughs> "Did you see?" I, uh, I agree. I just I thought it was funny the way it came out. We can't yeah. shoot people. Did you see AOC got her uh, her burner account got busted out, and she was actually telling um, people that I can't wait until some transgender. Uh, go crazy and actually end your life. She was saying that to Matt Walsh and other people, Ooh. kind of. But she got she got busted out on her account. That that happens that. typically. That's happened in uh, in our industry sometimes. You'll have some guy that's just troll, 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 and he'll forget that he's logged in under his account. He'll make a comment and then delete it and make the same comment on the burner account. Well, he doesn't realize that it, until mm. we refresh our feed, it's in our notifications. You see that happen. Yeah. So that's what happened. I, I don't know anything about this, but so that's so she was using like a second Twitter handle. Yes. And yes. forgot which one she was logged in under. Gee. Yep. Yep. You, know, you would expect that. a person that's an intellectual powerhouse like AOC to forget something like that. Yeah. I don't know how that <laughs> happened. <laughs> so a backhoe digs a 14 foot hole a dog can't smell through. Jack Spearco. I have said that. Apparently you have said that. I don't know why that would have come up in this conversation, but there you are. You know, people We're, are just point, helpfully pointing things out. The table, the nose doesn't work anymore, man. I, mean, like, <laughs> I wonder if the Back dog can, I wonder if the dog can sense it after it goes through pigs. Uh, probably not. And if it does, who cares? Yeah, <laughs> what are you going to sense? Right? I guess, yeah. No, don't mess with a person who has a background in underground construction. I can I can pull you underneath a highway with a directional boring rig and just cut you loose and you're gone. <laughs> <laughs>
If you don't think a person will fit in a hole with an eight inch back reamer, I can just tell you you're wrong. Ouch. (laughs) (laughs) All the horrible things we can do to people on today's Tuesday Live. This is why it's fun to have coffee with these guys. You just never know where it is going to go. Fortunately, there's no rum in the coffee because the way this conversation is going, it would be downhill from here. Yeah, if I had rum in the morning, man, the rest of the day would be uh, just not good. And I I actually get to go pick up a pallet of solar panels today, later. Oh, cool. That's something productive. Yeah. I I I had I ordered I needed ten for my solar build and the price break on just getting a whole pallet and reselling some was way better. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, and you know Sean Mills was involved in this at this point. So now we're we're doing that. I'll be selling solar panels in about two days <laughs> if anybody's interested. Four hundred sixty watt by facial, huh? How many you got for sale? I've got. 29, assuming none broke, 29 for sale. 275 includes sales tax. Uh, I am running it through my business, so it's, uh, you know, I I have to show the sales tax part, but. Right. Yeah. Cool. But I like round numbers. Did you mean to put that up on? on No, I I thought you put it up. I just saw it. No, I was trying to start at the same time. Jack and I were doing dueling comments there. Dueling comments are fun. Okay, well let let let's talk about bricks. Yeah. Which which we all tried. John and I tried to call it Brexit yesterday for some reason because well, we're having it's great like the, <laughs> it's like the whole it's like the whole damn alphabet at this point. But like Scully <laughs> says, it's not the it's not the countries that matter. Yeah. It's it's all those the X Y Z you know L G D P Q L M N O P X Y Z, but there's only a couple countries in there that have any powerhouse and. Brazil really is not one of them. I mean, they have fuel, um, but their 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 whole system. So, here's reality. This is the GDP of the G7, which is us, Germany, England, Japan, the the economic powerhouse of the world, the economic hegemony since forever. And this goes back to 1994, and it's a steady decline in the G7. And very recently, the BRICS nations overtook the entire G7 in GDP. And this is with the United States fucking around with the number in obscene ways. Like a few years ago, they decided to include future pension payouts in the year that they were ledgered to go out in the future for that year's GDP. Meaning if you work for me and you're a teacher, John, and I have put money into your pension fund that year that will equate future payouts. The GDP doesn't go out in 20 years. It goes out now. Right. And I even remember with when you those said kind that. of games, this is what happens. So it's a little bit bigger of a deal, I think, than, oh, they don't have any power. This is power of the human population. This is that there's more than half the world represented in those five countries by population. And what's happening is also much bigger than just like Brazil and how powerful is Brazil relative to the whole. What you have is now a a new form of trading alliance and more and more people writing the dollar out and basically the death of the global reserve system of the dollar. And, And that's why I wanted to talk about it today, because I'm telling you, this is way bigger. This should be this chart should be on CNN, MSNBC, Fox News everywhere. And you won't see it. there. Nobody will talk about this because what it means is pretty screwed up for the global economic system last week 
I covered this on Monday, and by Wednesday of last week, France did a deal to buy or sell uh, natural gas. I don't remember which direction the trade went with China in yuan. So a NATO ally stepped outside of the dollar reserve system in the energy market. Right. Brazil and China right now are on a full on agreement that they're going to trade commodities using Brazil's currency and China's currency. Russia and China are doing the same. Japan yesterday or the day before announced yep. that they will now buy oil from Russia above the cap set by the alliance against Russia. In other words, what they said is you can buy Russian oil, but you can only pay $60 a barrel, not mm -hmm. market price. And it was killing Russia economically. Freaking Japan, one of our strongest allies, just stepped out of that agreement. We are in a place where the dollar's death, and I'm not, I, you know, I hate the hype. You guys know that. But we're in a place where the dollar's death is accelerating just massively, massively. And I don't think people get exactly what the advantage is to us of having the reserve currency. But the way I explain it is just imagine that the reserve currency of the United States was oranges. And California couldn't grow oranges anymore for some reason. Florida would be like, well, it works, right? Because before Georgia can trade with Pennsylvania, they have to convert their currency to oranges. And Florida has a monopoly on the orange, let's say. Right. So that would be extremely advantageous to Florida. Now take it for 70 years that it's that way and then take it away. And what happens to the economy of Florida when you do that? That's the United States reserve currency system. That's the petrodollar. And we have been so irresponsible with the dollar. We deserve it. We deserve it. So the real question is, what does that look like to a normal person like me? It looks like more inflation than you've seen in your adult life. Mm -hmm. It looks like weakening U.S. strategic power across the planet because the majority of our planet, plant, our power is not hard power. It's soft power. So we take our military in and we blow shit up and we're really good at that. But that is a limited effect. Our primary means of power and control of other nations is that we give them money. We create vassals. That is mm -hmm. the that is the means by which the U.S. empire is held up. And we have an unlimited, despite all the angst about, oh, well, we need a debt ceiling limit rate. They're always going to do that. It's all bullshit. If we want to send $100 billion to say what nail or wherever the hell else country you make up Timbuktu sideways, we can do it anytime we want. And when they get the money, they can use it. And that gives us incredible control of moving the pieces on the chessboard wherever we want. This death of our petrodollar, this death of our world reserve status takes that away from, from the U.S. It, it is effectively the first real stage in ending the empire. So you've seen the empire becoming more and more on the edge of fall over the last 30 years heavily. And a lot of stupid things done. But when you start to see that crater, that's when the fall actually starts. This is the fall of the United States empire. You're standing at the front of it looking at it. So Brazil, Venezuela, Weimar? Well, Venezuela doesn't really factor into this very much at this point. They don't. They do have a lot of oil. Mm -hmm. But they're not really a heavy hitter in this trade alliance, right? No, so I mean, I mean, our... I mean, our economy compared oh, to their oh, past oh, yeah. collapses. Yeah. I, I don't think the United States will look like Venezuela. Maybe Argentina. Argentina. Yeah. Not Weimar. Argentina. We're like, 
you, you get into this exact same thing and you can kind of see this already, like where the police can't help you, but they can hurt you. Like, mm-hmm. does that sound familiar? Like that type of thing. Like some parts of Argentina were relatively stable and safe. And some parts were really, really, really dangerous. Does that sound familiar? I'm just saying, you know, but the money was devalued everywhere. I mean, Fernando Aguirre, uh, Furfal, Furfal, he talks about how he remembers in the beginning of it when it really started to fall apart that he would see guys dickering over something. And then once they agreed to it, the guy pulled a gold chain out of his pocket, yeah. throw it down on the thing, count a number of links, cut a link with a knife and hand it to the guy. And then they would do an exchange. Like I can see, you know, that kind of thing. It's not necessarily going to be a gold chain, but that kind of thing, barter, parallel economies, everything we talking talk about becoming more and more the case here. Um, hyperinflation. I don't know because I'm very big on definitions and mm-hmm. definitions mean something. So when you use a word, so hyperinflation would be 50% infl- inflation per month for four consecutive months or a thousand percent combined across a 12 month period. That is Weimar, right? And, right? and I don't know that you will see that because what you would see is a massive, like as people dump, the Federal Reserve will contract the supply. Mm-hmm. That's what they'll do because that's what they have to do. So remember, when we pay debt off in a fractional reserve system, we actually disintegrate money. We shrink the supply, which sounds crazy, but it's it's how it works. As long as the new money isn't created with other debt, right? So there's a lot of ways they can contract the supply. They can they can literally push toxic assets off the balance sheet and just say we don't we don't care about these things anymore. They're gone. They're dead because they're they're already nothing. They're already just a, an entry in a ledger that doesn't really do anything. So they have some tools, but it's not going to be pretty. And it seems like a perfect place to say we need CBDCs now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's already, the game of it. You know, that's on the that's on the Fed's website. They're rolling that out in July. It's actually yep. it's up on their on their. Yeah, it's like a w. test. It's going to be you know 100 voluntary. You can use it if you want to. And, yeah, kind of like. Getting your tax return in a card instead of a check. Well, that's how they're going to pay it. That's how any any other federal stuff's going to be paid is with CBDC from what they're saying. Did you see the deep fake with uh, the UK's uh, minister of finance with Zelensky? Did you did you catch any of that? No. So she thought she was speaking to him. And uh, he said, how's how's the rollout going? And she says it's on it's on schedule. Uh, there's a thousand dollar threshold. You can't use any uh, cash basically above a thousand dollars. That's gray market. We're going to lower that to 400 to 600 and it'll be uh, jailable and a fine and it'll be illegal to use anything other than CBDC. And at the end, he says, well, I think the future currency for uh, all of Europe is firewood. And she realized, oh, shit, that <laughs> might not be Zelensky. I'm speaking now. The whole thing could have been a deep fake, but it was yeah. it was yeah. entertaining nonetheless. Huh? Oh, no, I have not seen that. But, yeah, I think that that might be a pretty valid currency. It is valid. I know how much work it takes to make firewood. The the thing is, like, so when you look at commodities like natural gas and oil, Japan is showing you what will eventually happen. I don't care who the other party is. The one that has it to sell, you'll buy it from them. Yes. So these countries, one by one, will cave. Like, Japan, I don't think you can understate the – the willingness of Japan to pay market rate to Russia in the current situation. Like I guarantee you people at our state department had freaking mental shutdowns equivalent to trans people on TikTok. 
when that happened. Like they were jumping out of windows and screaming at their mother. They, I mean, that is one of our absolute staunchest allies just stepping out and going, you know what? This doesn't work for us. We're sorry. It's well, as they should, as they should, as As they should. And that's the thing. Like people are all mad about it. I'm like, what would you do? What would you do? Oil for the market price. Right. There's no, like, are you required to, I mean, you have agreements, but at some point you do what's best for your citizens, just like you do what's best for your family. Well, it's fair weather, fair weather fans. I mean, if the ship is on fire and there's a ship next to it, where are you going to (laughs) stay? Don't get (laughs) off. Renegade Butcher said, it's not me, it's you. He's the, a funny unsoftened, guy. the unsoftened version of a breakup. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need AI to write that line for me. No, no that's an old line. <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. It's but it's I, I have just been trying to hit on people that like all the stuff that we teach: food production, parallel economy, r- running a business, lifestyle design. Get out of the big cities. Like that's becoming more important right now than it ever has been in history because you already see what happens to the cities when they begin to decay. A lot of the cities that look pretty stable right now as our influence and control begins to decay, they're going to have as many or more problems as some of the ones that are already obvious, maybe more because the people in San Francisco or LA know to expect it where people in other cities, a little smaller that haven't had eruptions yet may not expect it because if somebody would have told you, before what happened in Kenosha happened in Kenosha, Wisconsin, you would have told them they were, if you'd ever been to Kenosha, you would have said you're smoking crack. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's Kenosha is one of those. It's, it's like a, a small town with a big population. It's not like your typical cities. I think they had a population of something like 75,000 people. And that's, that's, that's stretching the truth because of not quite actually in city limits and what have you. And yet it turned into a burning shithole. And so look, look what happened to Detroit. Just on us also. Yeah. Detroit in the 50s was not terrible. No. Det- yeah. Yeah. Detroit was one of the top blue class cities to live in in the 50s, 60s. It really was. And when our auto industry started to fall apart is when it started to fall apart. And that shows you that, like, in ecology, we talk about, like, a keystone species. So, like, a predator species is a key t- keystone species because it causes the prey to behave a certain way. So like they look like literally some of the waterways were changed yep. in Yellowstone when they reintroduced the wolf. Right. That's called a trophic cascade. And so you've got that wolf as the keystone species that when you look at an economy, you have a, you have keystones in the economy. And if you pull that keystone out, everything collapses. It's just unlike an arch where if you pull the keystone, it comes down immediately like you get a slow fall inward. And that's what happened in Detroit. So the auto plants cut back. Then the part like there were tons of people that set up factories in Detroit and they made parts for the auto industry. So when the auto industry started to close down plants, they closed down. Now you have two workforces and that affects everybody. The guy that works at the convenience store gets laid off because there's not a whole shitload of people driving past that intersection anymore. And then on top of that for Detroit, Detroit also hit it like straight in the middle of putting the interstate system through and bypass traffic, which wasn't really a direct hit. But over time, you know, when Detroit sucks and you have an interstate that goes right, you can go right through and get on either side of it where it's a little bit less sucky. So there was just like this one thing falls apart 
and everything caves in. And then that cascaded all the way through, all the way out to where I'm from in, in, in Pennsylvania with the steel industry yep. collapsing. And the steel industry collapses, the coal industry collapses because there were certain coals that, that burn hotter than other coals that were specifically used in the steel industry. So that put less demand on that coal. And so like that's how, like it just starts like now think about that going globally. That's that's what you've got. You've got the 1960s to the 1980s, except at a global level, which mo- with much broader implications. While we try to provoke a fight with two nuclear powers. Yay. Yeah. Well, that's because we're, we're committing suicide right now. I, no, I believe that. That's we are. Well, we're totally there's no, there's no other explanation at this point. This is not stupidity. This is committing suicide. Here's a good question. And I get this one a lot. What are your tips for starting a parallel economy relationship locally? You know, parentheses, trade relationships. Uh, Michael Vertrice says finding locals is my biggest challenge. And I get this all the time. And rather than start one, I would say find one, join one and start trading with people. And what that means is you are going to pay more for things that are locally produced yeah. many times. And that's that's the part that is hard for people to get over mentally. But when stuff's not available or stuff is hyperinflating, if you've already got a trade relationship with somebody, that's much more secure. And it's a direct relationship. That's much more secure. Uh, and also think about what you are, how you are defining locally. Do you mean within a square mile of yourself? That's that's harder to do. But I look at the robust number of people in all of the networks we interoperate in. And there's a ton of ways to trade. And it goes beyond just like my hollow roast coffee for some chicken eggs, which is a very, you know, small thing or problem to solve. When when I have needed to do something like I needed to get a pallet of really heavy solar panel ships somewhere and they could not come to the hauler because Jack and John have both been to the hauler. There's there's a limit to the size of a semi truck that can come down this road. Just throwing yeah, that out there. None of them. And they're very heavy. Yeah, no semi truck. <laughs> no You're missing half your road. <laughs> <laughs> so so because of the parallel society that we are already existing in, we had somewhere to have that delivered, and I'm picking it up today. Right? That's a little thing, but I you know that connection happened because of Sean Mills, who knew the person with the panels direct relationship to buy them. Another person had a loading dock, so we didn't have to figure out a forklift and it's done. So the key there though, is you had a thing of value. You acted as an importer. Yes. You created a thing of value, which created a local effect of the distribution of the thing of value that you import. So right. you either need to be importing value, right? If you want to do business locally, you either import value or you create value mm-hmm. locally. So the big yeah. problem with all these people that want local economies, and I don't mean to be mean to anybody or anything, because I never do that. But, okay, so you say, what's your th- what, what, what a value do you have to this local economy? And usually it, it comes down to U.S. space dollars, right? Like they have money. And that's fine, and that's good, and none of us hate money, and we will all take money. But what makes a local economy thrive is either people that are importing value or creating value in the local geography. And yeah. That's, you know, then what is the local, what is local? Like you said, like to me, like go start doing something that has value and start advertising your services locally and start doing business with people and then do this crazy thing called talk to your customer. Like don't just go like, here's like, if you're Tim Toolman and you're doing handyman work and here's a bill for replacing the header over your door or whatever, like 
talk to them about, you know, first of all, good sales. Like what else can I do to help you? Do you know anybody? And then this is the most important one. What I'm looking for, and maybe you know somebody who can help me find this is. Yeah. Right. So be on both sides of that economy that you say you're looking for as buyer and seller or manufacturer or importer. And because if you're not, what you're really saying is, I just want it instead yep. of yeah. actually creating the keystone. So you have to become if it's not there already, like Nicole say, where you go find it then you need to become the keystone in some way that starts to build it. Yeah, be be the connector and the networker. And what will happen is you will find it. You will find a million of them that exist near you. Like I can think of seven or eight that exist near me that are not cross-connected or they're getting better cross-connected. Uh, and some of that is ego. Well, this is my network and I don't want to you know, empower your network. But at this time, most of it is ignorance. And once they discover there's that other network, they're like, it's like when uh, Tag from Life Done Free came to the Self-Reliance Festival. He was like, this is badass. Let's get our two networks together and help each other. That's that, A lot of that is going on. The person asking about Georgia Border, go find the Chattanooga Voluntary Society's website and connect with those people. That's one of our strongest parallel economies in the state that I've seen operating, really. They're doing you it. To, you have to be the guy. Like, I have a guy for everything. I know who to call. And, and when I don't know, I have a guy to call when I don't know, because he knows who knows. You have to be the guy. If you don't produce the thing, you have to have something that somebody wants. And you might have to intake something that you don't want in order to trade that thing you took in to somebody else who needs it. And you have to have that ability to store that. Right. And you need to be in a position where you have enough credit or value built up that you can continue to sustain to intake other things. You have to have commerce. And like chicken eggs are great when you're the only dude with chicken eggs. But as soon as everybody in your neighborhood has chicken eggs, they're of no value anymore. And most of the people complaining about it, they don't have any value or they would already be trading value. They would yeah. know this. And yeah. and Michael, I saw you mention Nashville. So I assume that you're in the Nashville or surrounding area. I could be wrong, but did you come here for Self-Reliance Festival? We just had over 600 people here, and a lot of them are from the Nashville area and surrounding areas. Like, you might have to – when I need some stuff, I drive to Nashville to get it, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. we can still travel. So it's not out of the realm for trade to be, you know, 100, 200 miles away right now while we can. Yeah. Yeah, I think the other thing is, like, are you doing business locally already for anything that you can? Like when you drive down your road, everywhere you see a sign, that's local business. That's a local economy. So if you're driving past 12 signs to buy something at Walmart that you could have bought behind one of those 12 signs, and then you say you're looking for local economy. No, you're not. You're looking for the cheapest price. Right. So and this is how we ended up with like all the little hardware stores closed, all the little coffee shops closed because everybody went for the cheapest price and what have you, you know, and some of those big brands actually probably did a better job in the beginning. And then their quality suffered as they expanded. Yeah. Right? So like, I mean, honest to God, back when Starbucks really started to roll out, if you went to Bill's coffee shop or you went to Starbucks, you got a dramatically better quality of product and service at Starbucks. That's now reversed, but that's how these giant brands work. They go out and they hit quality hard in the beginning during a growth phase because you're you're not that spread out yet. You can you establish the brand, and then 
the law of numbers takes over. And if you're following the Pareto principle of 80-20, 80% of 50,000 employees is a lot of shitty employees. Yeah. Right. And they're a lot harder to get rid of and replace across time than, you know, if you have 10 and eight suck, you can identify the eight really fast and you can try to break Pareto and you can at least get in some moderately effective mid-levels and, and yep. you can run pretty well. But this is, this is what's happened because we put our value on the dollar versus the person. We put our dollar on the value on the dollar versus the quality of the product. And we've stopped caring about our local economies. We sit and we scream that we want local economy. Yeah. But yet, again, you know, I guarantee you when John drives two hours to freaking Nashville, it's because he didn't have a choice. Yeah. If there was somebody down the road that sold the thing he was looking to buy, even if it was more expensive, it's not more expensive than a tank of gas to Nashville and back. We have we have people in local groups here that are complaining all the time about gas next door here, right? It's three cents a gallon more. Well, I'm going to show him we're not going to we're going to go to yep. Paris to fill up, right? You're going <laughs> to spend thirty minutes driving to Paris to fill up your whatever you have. It's just it's just absolutely <laughs> insane, and that's how the mindset is, man. They they will go. They, well, your eggs are too expensive. Well, go buy them from Walmart then. I don't know what to yeah. tell you. Buy yeah. buy the non-nutrition, sterilized, generic thing. Like, your your life shows it. Yeah. And, and yeah. at the same time, you know, it's all about, like, if you're the person selling, differentiate yourself. Because I'm not in the chicken egg business. I'm in the duck egg business. We sell a yep. dozen yep. duck eggs for $12 now. Yeah. No yep. complaints. Nobody, because anybody that'll drive half an hour or more to get eggs just from us when there's eggs everywhere isn't going to make a decision over a couple bucks. Have have better customers. I tell people that all the time. <laughs> there's people giving away eggs that can't because they can't sell them at two dollars a dozen. So they give them away at the end of the week. But the dude with six dollar dozen eggs never has them because they're always sold out. There's it's the house. experience. Right. And what else can you upsell them? What else is there when they're coming to get the eggs? Do you have pumpkins? Do you have, yeah. you know, seasonal stuff? Do you have whatever it is? And it just you, you have people have to like you, right? There's so many people that are like, I'm not a people person. I get it. I don't yeah. like most people either. But you know what I do like? I like a lot of money. So I can pretend long enough to become a people person that what do you know? I'm a people person. Yeah. 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 It's that's I think that's the other thing is. I'm seeing Mike here saying, you know, people to hang out with don't take a half day to get together. I have some of that near me, but it came here because I was sharing cool stuff I was doing and people were attracted to that. But I also found local people over time. But at the end of the day, I did spend six hours driving yesterday. Why? Because I went to John's to pick up a load of stuff left over from Self-Reliance Festival to bring back here for my event. and. While I was there, we recorded a show and I got to see John and whoever else was in the area. Right. So it's I do spend some windshield time connecting with different networks around the state. I wish that I had more in time to invest, but I have other priorities where I'm investing my time. So I can't do it all the time, but I do do it and I do it with purpose. And and I think that part's hard when you have a homestead, because I know Mike, he has a homestead. He actually adopted my pigs. <laughs> recently and he has been to srf john you've met him but it was not awesome. this last one and he's a great guy and he's in the part of the state where it's sparse but i also know i keep hearing people moving where he is so part of it is we need to keep talking to each other about where we are and then make your pilgrimages like i'm trying to get to different freedom cell or other network events once a year in tennessee 
so that we start we start going to each other's thing. We start making these connections because at some point I am going to need a part for my roaster that I no longer can order and I'm going to need somebody to make it for me. I don't know who that person is and it may not be, you know, the exact same thing, but if it makes my roaster go from not working to working, that's what I care about at that moment. Yeah. 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 And as far as hanging out, like people don't take half a day to hang out. Like, I don't think it's like, I don't have a half a day to hang out with anybody. And and (laughs) when I get together with people, like I don't want to know anything about somebody. I don't need to hear any negative shit from anybody, especially about somebody I don't know. And that's what people do when they hang out, right? Let's get together. Let's drink beer. Let's cook burgers. What value do you bring? Like you have to bring a fucking shitload of value for me to have any conversation where you and I breathe the same air. And I'm not saying that to you, Mike. You you are welcome to come here Monday through Friday, nine to five, walk in that door, show up. We'll hang out for an hour. We'll talk. We'll look at the property or whatever. But most people like that want to hang out. I don't hang out with people that don't own businesses for the most part. I don't hang out with people who are not going to elevate me. And I've spent a lot of time dragging people up just to watch them climb their way back down. So, yeah, I don't I don't hang out. (laughs) You'll go half a day to shoot guns with people. Hey, Tactical, if you're hearing this and you could let Mama and Sauce know my coffee cup's empty, I would love a bailout. (laughs) I'm just going to throw that one out there. Um, That's why it's important to have community guys so you can get coffee halfway through the show. And you got to and you got to know people, too. Right. Like there's people that will come and I'm like, hey, that dude's a pretty cool dude. But yeah. then when you've been around him a few times, you're like, this guy's not going anywhere. No, right? I have no. people that pack all their stuff in a car and move here to come work here and do everything it takes to get the job and then nothing it takes to keep the job. Right. Yeah. Most of my true friends, I do business with them or they actually work here with me. Like it's it's a community. Right. And we're doing we're doing our thing and we're yeah. busy doing it. Well, and nobody's upset when you don't hear from the people doing their thing for a while and then you hear from them again. Because that's that's the other thing is um, constant interaction for me is hard. I I interact a lot with people um, and I tend to interact more with people I'm doing business with. But at the same time, if I all I do is interact, which is an important piece of keeping the relationship, then I don't actually get my stuff done. So. I don't know. Everybody I hang out with knows that I go dark and then I come back and I go dark yeah. and I come back. Well, I'm 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 running 16 hours a day with people, right? High energy. I want to sit down for 2 hours with my wife and just have dinner. Like we drove out of town yesterday to spend time together because everywhere we would go here, there's going to be people, right? We just yeah. want to go where where we can <laughs> sit and just do our thing. Um so and then somebody said, so what about people that don't think they have or bring value? Well, you better get good at being lonely or you better figure it out. Like you, everybody has something. You're going to catch something from everybody. Just make sure that you have something of value. You have something to teach or you better develop something to teach. There's nobody with no value. Yeah. It's whether or not they have clarified for themselves what their value is. And it's actually a really great question for personal development and growth. You need to sit down and make a list of everything you're good at, even if you're not paid for it, because maybe you could be and everything you're bad at. Don't do that shit or get better at it. Right. Like that's like life management one on one. The shit you suck at, that's what you pay somebody to do. The shit you're good at, that's the stuff you do. And the shit you're good at, but you hate. You do the other shit until you're so good at it, you can pay people to do the stuff you don't want to do. 
Yeah. Right? And then you divide your life that way. And then you, then you have a surplus of value. Then you just figure out how to market it. You know, I have people think, well, I don't know what I would do. And you talk to them and they're a fucking electrician and they work for like McBride Electric <laughs> or some big thing. Like, you know, I just paid a dude $600 to install a, a giant ass fan in my garage. He came in and did it in two fucking hours on a weekend. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why he has a company of his own now, even though he also used to work for the same company you do, because he was willing to go out and work sideline on weekends and shit like that until he had enough of a book of business and referrals to go out for himself. And he's making three times what a staff electrician makes. But you just keep doing what you're doing and say you have no value. That's fine. If you want if you need a job, go buy. They call him a goat or it's like a billy goat. Right. You can get him for like 50 grand. You could finance this thing to move sheds with. This is the conversation. Hey. I need my shed moved. Okay. I can do it in three months. Okay. How much to do it this weekend? I will pay you whatever that amount is 24 hours a day. Well, it's going to be an extra. Okay. Two grand be here tonight, right? You can set your price. This dude drives all day long doing these things and people pay him in hundred dollar bills. Like there's like, there's plenty of business if you're the guy and you have referrals, people will pay you anything you ask. All you have to do is show up and do the job. Jeff, my friend up the road here, flies a crew in from California to do construction work on their properties and puts them in a hotel for 30 days at a time because we can't get local dudes that will show up consistently to do the work. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the super sticker, Mike, whoever you sent that to. Yeah, we appreciate it, whoever yeah. whoever we is. <laughs> We don't know. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> on. Thank There's you. Though. channels there I can go. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, like you're talking like that. Like, that's what people need to think of, too. Like, don't be afraid to finance something that can make you money because the worst yeah. thing you can do is have it repossessed, which you don't have it in the first place. Yeah. Right? And if, and so, like, I was thinking of the dude that had that freaking sawmill. Yeah. At your place, John. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I watched him cut that six by six in a couple minutes. Yep. And I'm like, what is a 12 foot six by six beam? cost. Yeah. Right? And I'm not even saying to sell the six by six beam. I'm just saying if I have woodlands and I can drop trees and let them season off and have you come mill it for me, I am happy to pay you 20% of what I would pay for that piece of lumber in a store. And I know it's better quality lumber at the same time. Right. Well, that's a lot of money for the guy running the sawmill. And one of the things I think that really hurts people is they look at stuff like that and they go, I don't that's too much money to invest. That's why it's a good investment, because if you go into business selling chickens or eggs or whatever, everybody in the world can emulate your business in five minutes. But because people fear larger cost of entry businesses, once you have that piece of equipment, you pretty much have a monopoly. Yeah. And just just be likable. (laughs) Like, Just do what if you can do what you say you're going to do and people like you. That's you're going to you're going to be above the dude who just says what he can that he's going to do what he can do. Those all those skins they cut off of all those pine trees, Jack, I had them leave them there. I just took all those things and bolted them uh, to a lean to for the for the sheep. That shit's been sitting out there over a year in the rain. And those slabs, some of them are like four, five, six inches thick. Like even those skins that they were going to throw away. That's totally usable wood, man. Like you can use every bit of those things. Yeah. I know a dude, like the way he built his business, he started out just pressure washing driveways and sidewalks. Yeah. And he did it as a side hustle. He would go out on Saturdays and Sundays because people are home. And he'd just drive around with it, look for people that were outside so he didn't have to knock on a door and stop and tell them what he did. And they'd be like, 
Well, I don't know that it really needs you. Oh, you think it's clean? Let me, do you want me to show you? I'll just clean a little spot. And then he would pull his thing out and, shh, and, and clean like a little like dot. Yep. Well, now there's this driveway with this pristine, clean yep. dot. <laughs> and the rest of the driveway is nasty. And he's like, yeah, 50 bucks, I'll do the whole thing. Yeah. And Take he has spray your phone 50% number. 50% of people that would let him make the dot would go ahead and pay him to do the whole thing. And, of course, he'd leave their, their his business card, get their information, and he would do shit like when he was going to drive a neighborhood, I'm going to be in your neighborhood. I'll do it for 10 bucks off. Put your right. phone number. Put your phone right. number on their driveway. And it wasn't a cheap pressure washer, but it wasn't like something the city uses or something. It was like probably a couple grand. And it you know, did a really good job. And then Danny started getting other things that he could offer, kind of going the handyman route. And he ended up, you know, he was pulling out a couple hundred thousand a year. And a lot of it was cash. And you figure out what to do with that on your own. Yeah. Thanks for the super sticker, K-Bonk. Uh, Strong Roots Resources says, I started my business, which is Strong Root Resources, with an electric Ryobi mower and trimmer, a good attitude and solid communication skills. And basically, he took equipment he was already using at his place after a sudden job transition and made made money that way to the point where he could not necessarily, you know, he had to say no to people and he had to grow and he had to change. And now he's doing permaculture consults and coaching for people all over the state. It's pretty cool. That's what happens when you start. You don't you don't necessarily know where that's going to go, but you know I need to bring value somewhere and I need to make money somewhere or pay for whatever. And then next thing you know, you're like, well, now I see the path and I'm going to go down this path, and it grows. And if you keep an open mind, I think when you're pursuing something like that, it does it does become clear. As much as I love to plan things out in advance, sometimes it's just like you just got to go. You know, if Jake freaking Robinson can flip raw land. I don't want to hear anybody tell me that making money is beyond them. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. Like if Jake Robinson can flip raw land, you can figure out something to do. You know, we love to pick on Jake. I ain't seen Jake in a while. I haven't yeah, either, he's I okay. He's okay. Wait, well, we had the, all the tornadic stuff come through Friday. And so we've yeah. heard from him since then that he did okay, not good. get tornadoed. That's what we know. So K Bonk's got four super chats on the board, so I think he bounced from channel to channel and, and hit us all up. Thank you for Thanks that. Thanks for super chatting all of us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I see that. <laughs> yes, we are simultaneously streaming to three YouTube channels and other places. My um, Facebook, my Twitch, and my Twitch. Odyssey. So we're like yeah. on seven or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's why you see all the things coming and sometimes you'll see things coming in that you're like, I don't even see that person in the comments. That's why we have a Jake sighting from Tom. He was in a live feed <laughs> last week. I guess I missed it. <laughs> we need a little Jake sighting icon. <laughs> a Jake sighting Jake icon. Sighting. There's been a Jake sighting. Yes. <laughs> well, so this is something I see about about building value at Self-Reliance Festival. One of the reasons I am willing to invest as much time and energy and passion into Self-Reliance Festival as I do, and I don't, I mean, John has his own motivations, I'm sure, is people get interested in that topic and the speakers, and they they make a leap of faith and they come. And coming to Self-Reliance Festival, the ticket compared to other festivals is very reasonably priced. But it still feels hard to people because they need to make it out to rural Tennessee and figure out, am I camping? Am I buying lodging? And that's a barrier for some people. They've decided to jump over that barrier and come. And then we almost, I, I think every time we've had this conversation where I say, who doesn't think they have something of value? And hands go up. And then I'll ask somebody. That, that means they're willing to put their hand up in a crowd, which is another barrier they've just overcome, right? This is good. And, and 
I'll say, what did you do? You know, what do you do for a living? I'm retired. What did you do? We had one last time who paints signs. And then I'll say, does anybody here need a sign? Yep. Hands will go up. I have never found anybody who was willing to raise their hand in a group like that, who then said something that they did know how to do where somebody else didn't need that. Yeah. And many times that person will walk away with a contract if they're willing to. I took and her over so and sh I took her in the building and showed her all those signs. We had just bought 10 signs at 165 bucks a piece. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, that's something where spending time deciding what your value is rather than asking yourself, do I have value is, is going to bring you further along because it's there. There's, if you have been able to stay alive this long, you got to have some skills somewhere. I don't know what they are. You could rent but, yourself out to a greenhouse operation as a CO2 generator, I guess, if you're really desperate. <laughs> but, I mean, here's something you're doing that's making you, you know, have value somewhere. Yeah. And, and if not, then you could be like I was talking about this last week that like people talk about like I'm working on it or whatever, you know, and I'm going to make more money someday or whatever. Like if you ask them, like, so what is the pro promotion probability in your company and what does it look like? They don't know. Right. Like, I guess if my boss gets promoted. OK, well, how many bosses do you have? What is the structure? How many how many places are if you did get promoted? How much money would it be? What impact would it have on your life? What skill sets do you need to add? What value could you bring to your employer so that they would look at promoting you? <clears throat> is that even feasible? Because a lot of times people are in positions where they're not getting promoted. They could go out and call down the angels and, and bring business to the company in a suitcase and they're not getting promoted. Well, once you determine that's the case, then you well, then you do the same analysis outside. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then it means and if you're not doing something like that then you're the whole talk of getting more money someday when things turn around, pick up, whatever is bullshit, right? If you're not actively seeking to grow, I promise you, you won't. Yeah. I promise just, you, there's not a lot of things I can promise people and I can't promise. You. Oh, the internet took Jack out or my I internet went you out. You won't, right? You won't accidentally grow. I feel like I just heard you say this yesterday. Didn't you just have this conversation on your live yesterday? Uh, no. Yesterday we talked about sorghum. Okay. That's a really I, good I, show. I listened to that on my way home from John's. Last week. <laughs> I watched yeah. something yesterday, and you literally just had this conversation. So yeah. it must have been a – like just within the last, last few days. Week. It was yeah. last yeah. week, yeah. It was like you can't, you can't sit there and expect change. When I used to do consulting, and it's why I don't because I hate it. But I hate having people pay me for advice and watch them not do it. But well, if I would talk to a business and especially a mid-sized business or better, and I'm talking to like C-level people, directors or whatever. And if they would use a phrase like when things pick up, I'm out. I'm out. I'm done. I cannot. I can't help you. I can't ethically take your money at this point. You're passive and you're paying me to become active. And I can't do that for you. Right. Plus your success rate when you deal with with non-performance people, your success rate goes down. You need your success rate to be 100%. Hmm. Uh, I think Chuck people said he's ordering a sign from the person who didn't think they had value and paint signs. No, Chuck's Chuck's ordering a or sign your from people. Bench, okay. benchmark signs and gifts. Um, the, one of the first, well, the very first thing that came in this building when we built it are two signs from Benchmark Signs and Gifts. And he's got a big CNC router. He's built a, a huge compound, beautiful home, 
Um, I've watched him grow from day one and he was just consistent. He would hit me up. He's like, Hey, can we do some signs? Hey, can we do these? Kate, can you sell those? And he actually bugged the shit out of me for a while. I'm like, who is this guy? (laughs) And, uh, now we, we send business to him, our, our show sponsors for our private podcast. Uh, he does mm-hmm. all the signs that are on those walls where we sat yeah. yesterday, Nicole, and he turns them around like in days. That's mm-hmm. really cool. Mm-hmm. Hmm. There's a lot of things like that that people can be making money on. There's and there, you're like, here's one that I've had in my head and I'll, I'll, I'll throw it out there because I'm not going to do it. I don't have to. <laughs> time, right. So one of the hottest yeah. things in permaculture right now is the black soldier fly stuff. Yep. And the bins that are really good, that are fabricated, they're very expensive. And they're very expensive because they're bulky as shit. And it's a lot of injection molding type. So the setup's high on them. And so they sell these great big pods. So nobody can afford the big pods. So everybody goes out and makes these rigmarole, you know, rubber-made bids and stuff. And they work okay. But they don't work anywhere near as good as the biopods, they call them. Well, I would figure out a standard size Rubbermaid tub and I would fabricate the innards to an exact pitch match, the overlay on the lip that prevents crawl out, all that. That would go in a flat fucking box. Once you had that design down pat, you could outsource that shit overseas if you really wanted to. I'd prefer not to. And I would not be fucking bandsawing PVC apart and shit like that. People can do it for themselves. And it would be a it'd just snap in, maybe snap together, snap in. And now you're able to take a $400 Black Soldier Fly biopod and replicate it for probably a sale price of about 50 bucks. But keep telling me there's no new ideas to be had. Yeah, flat pack I had that while I was smoking a little grass. So I'm I, just saying, like. <laughs> I feel like a 3D printer could just ramp you up quickly. If I you... think a 3D printer could build you a prototype in that. I don't think it would mm-hmm. be a sustainable model of production. But there's probably a material that would be not likely to break down. It can handle being wet and shit that somebody with some sort of CNC or laser cutter or something that once they had the design could actually produce it relatively quickly. And it would need to be something my guess would be because I'm thinking like a hundred gallon tub would be the the size to go with this to make it worth the parts um, where they would actually have to interlock so that they could ship flat. But you'd want to find, you know, you'd, you'd reverse engineer. What is the cheapest large flat box I can ship? Yeah. Then you, well, what's the biggest pod I can make that will, the innards will go in that box. And then you, you and then you just sell the part that's hard to make. And you let pers- a person go down to freaking Home Depot or Lowe's and buy the bin for 15 bucks. And then you, you, you teach your customers, you know what? Once you have a waste source, you guys, you need to be buying a hundred of these. You need a hundred of these. Yeah. And now you've got a product. You've got frass, which can become compost. You've got the grubs, which sell like crazy. Plus you've got free chicken feet. There's your local economy, by the way, not the guy making the inserts, but the guy making the, the, the grubs. I'm just saying Watch. like, there's so much out there that people could do. Watch some videos on freeze drying and dehydrating uh, black soldier flies. They're all over YouTube and they give the money breakdown and you can get the machine for about six grand and it's a conveyor belt system. And in a 20 foot shipping container, they said you could do $60,000 in a 90 day period on your startup. And they actually showed all the math. Like it's pretty interesting. 
See, and then I would say if you really wanted to multiply that side on the production side, go find all these local butcher shops that are busy as shit. And I mean more like slaughter places that do chickens and deer and everything else and say, I'll set the pods up. You just throw your offal in there. Yeah. Well, they're uh, they're they're actually feeding them the uh, the tailings out of beer and mead making. And that stuff. works too. They're using those yep. grains, and yep. then if you they don't have that smell also to them. If you do it right, they don't stink even when you're feeding them like guts. Got but it. Got it. That would be. Yeah. I'm gonna bring the pods. Like if you did this with a, a you, you by the time you did this, you should know this. But it'd be like I'm gonna bring the pods. I'm gonna set them up with coffee grinds or whatever. Do not put anything in there until I tell you to. Yeah. And once you start putting stuff in there, never fill it higher than here and use your regular disposal method if you have surplus. And you would have somebody feeding your flies for you and you're solving their problem. They're solving yours. You have multiple outputs. You have free feedstock because the next thing you so I've been digging into black soldier fly next because I want I'm trying to give people all these tools that we already have that can be put together in, in systems of design. Black Soldier Fly Frost, which is the waste, is not fertilizer. It's it's poop. Okay? It's not worm castings. But it's optimum feed for worms. Mm-hmm. So then you set up a vermicomposting operation, and you're pushing your frost into your vermicompost. Now you've got supercharged microbes. Throw some biochar in that shit. You've got a business. And you've got a startup cost here of a few thousand dollars. Now, the only reason I'm not doing it is I make more money sitting here talking in this microphone than I do going out there and doing that. But if I was freaking broke right now, there's no way I would sit around waiting for a job. I know a dude that makes 85 grand a year cleaning swimming pools. Yep. Yeah. Not a job. So he only takes as many. He's like, I don't want any more business. I don't take any more customers. I take a customer when I lose a customer. That's his business model because he doesn't want to work any harder than he does because he's working – 70-hour weeks in the summer and barely at all in the winter. And he's fine with that. He's balanced his cash flow. He knows what to do. He's got a lot of customers that are, like, on an annual plan. So they pay the same all year, but they're paying a lower, you know, they're paying a fair rate per time he shows up. But that way his cash flow is evened out. He doesn't want any more work. Yeah, and if you really want to make money, clean clean ponds for rich people, right? Mm. Rich people have expensive fish. I used to work for Pond Doctor, and we maintained, like, the Hyatt Regency ponds and they'd have parrots and waterfalls and shit and we'd get in there and clean those ponds up and deal with those and that's that's fat money man just deal with people that have money if you don't live where there's money you're going to make a little bit less money but people with more money pay you know for they they give you more of their money yes so um, their motivation is not cheapest usually there's usually a different value they're looking for let's go back to john here he says he's selling chicks for four dollars a piece that's great. Um, I just was at the feed store recently and I walked back to see what was in the cage. And it said all chicks sold, all ducks yep. sold, all goslings sold. Yep. And I, I was just I was only back there to look at because I think they're cool. Right. So I was talking to them and I'm like, oh, guys, you're all going home. You're all sold already. And the dude hears me and he goes, they're all sold for the next four weeks. Yeah. They've got pre-orders on everything they can expect to come in four weeks out. And they're selling birds for like five bucks a piece. But you know what you can really make money doing? Half chicken tractoring, right? So grow those chicks till they're about eight to ten weeks old. And people will pay $25 a piece for them 
which is more than the person that grows them for the same period of time and then processes them into meat will get for a processed, cleaned chicken. You can sell the layer that's only a month out or so from laying for more than you'd get for the meat chicken. Yep. But one piece of advice on that, barnyard mix, I don't know why, but all these new chicken keepers don't want nothing to do. They want to know it's a XYZ breed. So yeah. pick something and run with it. That's what that's what we're about to do is set up individual runs. So we've got barred rocks, purple Orpingtons. Yep. So we know what we're hatching out when we hatch those eggs. Look at this. Murdoch's sells. Oh, oh. sorry. Ah! <laughs> Murdoch's, I don't know who they are, sells buff Orpingtons at eight weeks for $30 a bird. Yeah. <clears throat> And that, and that's good too, right? Rather than buying straight runs, you go in there. Is it worth it to pay that to get a bird that number one, you know what it is. It's made it to 30 weeks. That sucker's healthy and you know whether it's a rooster or a hen right off the yeah. bat. And you know, it's not going to die in the brooder on day two because yeah. a lot of them do. There's a high mortality rate. Yeah. Especially new people that have never kept birds before. Yep. Yeah. We've got birds everywhere right now. I've got a bunch of my, buff, <laughs> my, uh, my, my bantam chickens. They're all they're all hatching freak babies because they're ducklings. Yep. So the baby <laughs> and the mother's like, "You look funny." Ah, my kid's a freak. Screw it. Let's go. <laughs> Why is it jumping in the water? Yeah, yeah. What's weird this year though is like I had one runner duck and she hatched some babies and like all the chickens lost their babies already. Like the 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 baby duck self identified as duck and are like that's the mama and they all left the chicken. <laughs> he was over in like an hour, but she was yeah. pretty upset at first. And I got a ton. I mean, I got, I've got, I need to video this, but I don't want to upset them because I'm afraid they're going to crack their eggs because they get so upset. Yeah. I've got two ducks and four bantam chickens in one clump <laughs> on a mountain of eggs, which I hate because some of them are going to be out of time and whatnot. But I'm like, yeah. I literally can't bother them anymore. Like they attack me. There's one Muscovy. There's a oh, yeah. duck. Uh, there's like three chickens and then like other chickens are trying to get in on the game and it's, I, I don't know what we'll end up with, but it's it'll be hard fun. chaos is what that is. Yeah. Yeah. We got, so the Muscovy has been setting, uh, she is due this week. If, if she's going to hatch them, we marked the eggs. There are six that she did not kick out of the nest. So it's only six eggs. Yeah. But now both Muscovies are there, you know, facing oh, two directions and so you don't hurting. want any part of that nest. No, they will, they'll jack your shit up. Stay away. <laughs> we'll see. And, and, and of course, the khaki Campbells have been like drive by shooting eggs under there. Oh, that's what they do. That's like, yeah. like oh, somebody's here. And yeah. they'll, I, I don't know if you've ever seen this. Sometimes they'll lay an egg and it's not really under there. Yeah. And then you'll see one on the nest will reach out with its beak and pull it in. Yeah. Mine do that all the time. You'll see them like, no, I, I know that one's new. You're, you're not getting that. Yeah. But yeah, it's, there, anyway, back to what we were saying, like there is opportunity everywhere with this stuff, guys, everywhere. Yeah. But you have to see the problem most people have is they don't understand that in many instances, you're actually you're not tying into a market. You're creating a market. So even though there is a market for duck eggs or for chicks or for half grown pullets or whatever it is, there might be a market on the broad scale. But where you are locally, there isn't a market yet. And the, the great part about that is not only can you create the market, then you can effing own the market. Right. So you establish the price base. Like it was funny, like people on Craigslist back when we first started selling eggs 10 years ago, we were selling for eight, eight a dozen back then. Everybody was selling duck eggs for like four bucks a dozen. 
Yep. They're so still doing that. We put together here. a solid marketing plan. I did the Duck Chronicles videos, right? They're like, but you're Jack Spearco, the podcast. I'm like, none of these people buying eggs from me know jack shit about that. They don't care. They cared about a professional website, professional marketing, did some referral work with some chiropractors for the health thing, hooked into some nail polish salons because mm, the Asian population yep. there buys the crap out of it. And then once we did that, we watched everybody's price on, on Craigslist and all go up. Yeah. We, we set the floor and then we raised it. And, and we don't even make a lot of money on that now. We only keep about 40 birds now. So it's just pocket money. It's, my wife calls it duck money. Right. <laughs> but I mean, like, we're not even serious about it. Like, because John's saying, like, if you're going to do that model, you're not going to make a living on duck eggs. I don't care how many ducks yeah. you have and how many eggs you sell. You will build a customer base. And then your question needs to become, what else can I sell them? Well, I bet you if you started growing like four of the easiest microgreens you could grow, put them prettily into a clamshell, that every one of your customers would leave with two or three of those clamshells at five bucks a clamshell. Right. Now you've got a product that's a much higher margin product that's actually pretty low labor. I wouldn't do any of the fussy shit like John Dowie does selling to restaurants and all. And then what else can I sell them? Freaking John Willis right here. What's that? I'll sell your ass gummy bears. Right. Like, I'm already shipping shit to people. Like, what can you put in the add to the cart suggestion? Except instead of add to the cart online, we're talking add to cart in real life. All you're doing is building the customer base and then keeping as much into the sales channel as you can from a product perspective. And then it's low risk because let's say you build out a pretty good book of business. You bring a product in. You go small with it at first. It either sells out like crazy and you get a demand. And then you can build up or it does like shit and you go, okay, I'm going to do something else. I'm going to find what fits my market. Yes. Especially if it's something you don't have to put labor into, right? If we can, if we can buy it in bulk and it doesn't expire, right? Rocks and minerals. Amanda just sold a ton (laughs) of rocks and minerals. Yep. And you can leave them out in the rain. Like they don't go anywhere. (laughs) Nothing happens to them. (laughs) Gummy bears, you know, we we bring in 5,000 pounds of gummy bears at a time and we flip them over in 90 days. They make them as we order them. But you wouldn't want to sit on those for, you know, a year. Right. So if if we're getting towards expiration date, we just put them in smaller packages and we give them away for free just to to re up the next batch. But same with shirts. We bring in 120 shirts every Monday. We never rerun the same design. All three of us are wearing a design that that I've done. And then we send our shirts to friends and people that, you know, we can cross promote with. So we get a little bit of eyeballs there. You see Jack wear our shirts all the time, Nicole. Um, And then we sell them off. And then if we have extras and it wasn't a hot seller, we just do it as a value add on the next sale. Right. So we're always moving inventory out. We don't have to warehouse and it it just spurs people. So even if it wasn't a big seller, oh, yeah, I'm definitely going to buy this one because I'm going to get this other one at half price, you know, next month or next week or whatever. It's it's easy to do, just like just like the pumpkin thing, right? Most people selling seasonal stuff, they don't grow that. It's awesome if you can come to the pumpkin patch and see where it was grown. But a dude that works at the post office here in town, I don't I'll bet you he makes almost as much selling pumpkins and seasonal stuff as he does yeah. working for the post office. And I go, Where do you grow all that? I don't grow it. I get it from Bob down the road. I'm like, That's awesome. I'm gonna sell pumpkins out on my side of town. Yes. Yeah. Well, I I find it so I just saw Jack say give give your crosses a name and all people want is a name. Yeah. So we've experimented with this on coffee because I do like these single farm coffees. Right now I have a Guatemala that I'm going to send you some of. Jack, it's a honey process, and 
I don't love medium roast. I love dark roast. The medium on this, though, it's like smooth vanilla fruit. So delicious. And I marketed it as Guatemala. And it kind of sells. And I talked about it. I described what it does. I bet you if I rename that something snazzy with honey in the title. Yeah. Like honey bucket. Although probably that's not the best graphic for people. But, you know. Guatemalan. Yeah. Guatemalan honey bucket. All of a sudden, I will sell out. And and we've been kind of doing a you know back and forth on do we name it by the farm name or do we make some some weird random name that we make up when we're feeling loopy in the morning having coffee. Mama Sauce and I will brainstorm names. The names always sell more. So you're not wrong. Yeah, Guatemalan honey. Yeah. Guatemalan honey roast. But I think it's not really a roast. It's a process. It's a process. But, you know, we could say it, it'll be more like, we do one every um, like I'll do vacation, vacation blend, mm-hmm. vacation blend sells out. Yeah. And yeah. and I don't know. People are like, oh, cool. It's the vacation one or we'll name it after a mountain or whatever. It's really interesting. Honey hole. Honey bucket. So, yes. And Chuck, this is why I bought holler roast dot com spelled wrong because everybody does that does that wrong too <laughs> yeah here marco says he sells chicks at 15 bucks nice that's awesome chick chicks awesome. or i paid eight dollars a bird for breasts and i got a, a mixed batch of a bunch of different colors because i want them to interbreed and i wanted mixed genetics okay but yeah holler yeah. hive roast exactly something Holler like that hive roast Morning Honey Rise. Yeah, see, that name would probably totally get people. Yeah, yeah. Rethink everything you thought you knew about coffee with Morning Honey Rise. <laughs> well, now i got to launch it next month. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll have, a, you'll have a group of friends, right? Like when we have an art design, I'll send it out to 15, 20 people just in a mass text, and we'll get input back. And, and sometimes – the guy you'll have a dude that gives you input that never makes sense, right? So you stop sending it to that dude. But you, we bounce that information and then it evolves a couple times and then we put the product out, right? You'll you'll figure out who your people are and where the you know the input is is valuable or where it's not. And then like we just picked up four hundred pallets here. We got them all for free. They were like pretty much brand new. You can take those suckers and paint them like American flags. You can sell pallets just like IBC totes. I'm able to get IBC totes for free. I can sell IBC totes for 45 bucks pretty frequently. Yeah. I can sell them all day long for $35, right? And we get them for free. So the people buying them could also get them for free. They just haven't done the footwork to figure out how to get them. That's that's the barrel game right there. Yeah. I just and had an have- interesting thought when you were talking about, well, let's talk about eggs. I was listening to this thing this week about people are using potatoes for Easter. I saw that. Did you see that? Because egg shortages or whatever. And we're what? sitting here on like more Mountain. eggs than we, all of us have more eggs than we know what to do with. I'm giving away 120 eggs at a time and I can do that every other day. Giving yeah. them away, just giving them to. But I think it's perception versus reality there. Like yeah. a lot of this stuff that people think is scarce is not. And yet, even right. when it's scarce, they still don't want to pay the dude with the pastured eggs more than a couple bucks a dozen for them. When you couldn't right. get toilet paper and Clorox bleach, you know who had it every day? Lowe's did. 
People yep. don't go to Lowe's to look for it, though. Yeah. Amazon had it. Uline had it. Commercial Dollar, Dollar General had it. Yeah. 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 I walked in. I was like, well, there's the toilet paper. It's smaller packages. You can't yeah. buy the Walmart cube, but you can buy this yeah. if you need it. Yeah. Yeah. When when people were like all the preppers went crazy when COVID started and they were all buying wheat and barley and shit. It's like, why didn't you buy that shit before? But, oh, by the way, if you want it, go down the feed store. Right, they're on HoneyvilleGrain.com with a seven-month lead time to buy a 50-pound sack of, uh, of uh, wheat and pay like a ridiculous shipping fee because it takes a lot to ship a 50-pound sack to your house. Like, yep. go down. You got a feed store near you? Yeah, go down there. They'll sell you all the freaking wheat, barley, all that shit you want. I'm not saying you need it, but if you want it, go there or go to homebrew store. They got raw grain out the ass. They'll sell you whatever you need, any color, flavor of the rainbow. You can get your your grain in. And people just don't think outside that narrow, defined area that they're in. And the Amish Mennonite stores have it all the time. You can always get it. And if they don't, they'll order it and have it next week for you. Mike's getting yeah. 50 pounds of feed wheat for $10. That's a good price. You know what the difference between feed wheat and a 50-pound sack and, 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 and wheat for you and a 50-pound sack are? A little threshing. more staff and 25 bucks. Yeah, threshing. Yeah, right. it's, it. it's, it's wheat. It's wheat. Feed, seed, and food are all the same. It's wheat. Where do you think they, they we got the, the food wheat in this field and the animal wheat in this field and the seed wheat in this field. The seed wheat is for growing the human wheat, but, <laughs> but we're going to, we're going to call it seed wheat. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. There's a, there's a super cool Instagram that I've been following and this dude, planted on the side of his like the the area between the sidewalk and the road he planted it in wheat and it was it was i don't know 20 feet long by whatever and he harvested this up and he planted it with like a jang cedar watered it sprouted it cut it by hand went to thresh it and he's like oh this threshing shit's a lot of work so he bought this 200 thresher that worked really well and at the end he had a five gallon bucket of wheat that he had grown in his front yard pretty fascinating like how much wheat how much flour does that make and how much flour does an average person use on a year? Like it's doable if you had to do it. It's, it's just a neat, you know, deal. I heard somebody talking the other day about planting out. Um, I, I think we're going to plant out like 20 by 20 areas of like barley and different things. I was having a conversation with a dude about just putting in these cover crops just to grow and just, you know, do individual little areas and just see what we can produce. Just grow it up and see what it does. Yeah, that makes me think of something I discovered yesterday because somebody emailed me about this. Um, there's something going on. It's been going on in India where they're taking these villages and they have like this contest. Who can do the most water capture? It's it's literally, they don't call it permaculture. It's the largest permaculture project in the world. Interesting. It's thousands of villages have competed in this. And the the channel that has these at is run by a dude named Andrew Milson or Millicent, and they're titled India's Water Revolution, and it's like number one, number two, number three, number four, pound sign, to find them. And it is fascinating, and the integrated local economies and the way, like, I look at this and I feel embarrassed for America. You're in the legitimate, the third world of the third world. These are all remote villages and stuff, and watching these people come together, talk about developing local economies. And, and taking and completely rehydrating watersheds. And most of the work's being done by people with shovels and baskets. Yep. And it it's literal terraforming 
Like when you, a lot of talks about greening the desert, this is a greening all the deserts and it's totally worth looking up. And if it doesn't inspire you, I don't, I don't know what would inspire you. So these people are doing this with shovels and, and rakes and baskets. And we have metric shit tons of earth moving equipment sitting idle all the time in this country. We could be doing the same thing on marginal lands here. And all it took was a contest. And that's what it is. It's a con. It's it's, it's an, an NGO. It's a non-governmental organization that, that that's running the whole thing. It's not the government at all. And uh, so the next contest is actually who can do the most integrated improvements to the entire village. So they already had a winner of who did the most water harvest, and now anybody that got over a certain threshold of water harvest can compete at the next level. That's brilliant. And it looks like in like a 1980s Amway stadium when all these people are there to see who won and shit. Like it's a huge <laughs> movement, right? Like it really is. But that is, I mean, that's how human nature works. When we gamify or have a contest, suddenly people are willing to go for it. Who wouldn't? Yeah. yeah. And they'll do a lot more than if you were like, hey, I'll guarantee you 40 bucks an hour if you do this thing. Now, the one, the one video I was watching this morning because I was going through the series the one guy that was talking through a translator basically said, since they did this to their village, because this is, these are farming villages. That's what they have, right? They have farms and, you know, they have plants and goats basically. And he said their input costs are half and their income is doubled. And the guy said for you, he goes, no village wide. The average person in this village has had their input cost cut in half while their income doubled. And when he said it, you looked and there's like 20 guys standing there and they're all freaking grinning. Like they won the fucking lottery. Yeah. Right. And this was all done with materials on site. They did some of our, some larger stuff, like some dams and have some concrete in them all. But 90% of what they've done is just moving dirt. That's all it is. And on contour, it's kind of cool. Like you guys know what swales are. You get a big long swales. What they have are like swales that look like they're about the uh, 50 foot. And then there's a, not a sill, but a like a non swale part. And then another one. And then they're done in series. Mm hmm. And they're kind of like the ones John has in the back where they're really deep. Yeah. And then they did this 30, 40 thing in one of the villages where they took all of the pasture and they broke it into 30 foot by 40 foot sections. They burned all around like a little dirt mound wall around them, but not high, like a foot two. But in the downhill corner of each 30, 40, they put it in a pit. So when they get the monsoon rains, that pit fills like a little pond and percolates into the soil. Mm-hmm. I, I am absolutely blown away and i sit here and go we are so freaking spoiled we are so freaking we are yeah nothing tries to kill you when you walk out your door every morning yeah oh yeah i didn't even think of that like you're talking about the country that has like four of the top 20 deadliest snakes on the planet like home of the king cobra and shit like yeah (laughs) the russell sniper that they just bite you because you're there i had a customer hey asshole i'm here leave me alone the russell survivor's like come on bitch we had a I had a customer here Uh-oh, just Starling. six months in Africa, and he was talking about how free it is there. And I said, "And I said, did you ever? Am I live? Am I good?" I had a customer who was yeah, just in good. Africa, and I said, "Did you ever feel? Did you ever feel unsafe?" And he said, "Oh no, it's so free there, man. It's so it's so beautiful." I said, "Where were you?" He said, "Namibia." I go, "They got cobras in Namibia." He's like, "Yeah, I didn't <laughs> ever see a cobra though." He said, I, but every, 
everybody loves Americans there because they don't see a lot of Americans. He said, I spent six months with a bunch of Afrikaans, uh, you know, white folks. And he said they spoke very broken English. Most of them speak Afrikaans. And he's like, I'm, I'm going back there. I just I just love it there. He said, I lived in Australia for a couple of years and Australia is such a wreck now. <laughs> he said, I, I don't have any desire to go back to um, to to Australia. He said, but I'm going to go back and spend another year in Africa. And I just thought that was cool. You know, he's in a position yeah. where he can do whatever he wants to do. He's he's very well off here. But that's where he's choosing to go for he feels it's just free there hmm. and shit will kill you there. Oh, yeah. shit will kill you everywhere. We're just everywhere. I'm not here. Yeah. Yeah. Careful where you ride your mountain bike in California at this point, you're liable to become mountain. a cat toy. Mountain yeah. lions. Yeah. So you're like, I can't understand why they're attacking bikers. And you're like, have you paid attention to what cats do? And you got this thing with the two <laughs> wheels spinning going. Like, <laughs> like, it's just it's like total trigger. It's like dragging a string around the corner for your, your, house cat right like so we have it here we just have been so insulated for so long and yeah uh, we have we have mountain lions showing up here tva said they have dna on uh, no less than six is what they said mm. and then we had a black a black panther or jaguar show up about 45 minutes from here two years ago so they're here and and like wildlife will plant those animals there they'll be collared they won't tell you they're putting them there but they do they do put them out there Yep. And then nobody knows what to do with the big cats because we haven't had them for so long yeah. here. So we we, you know, we have little bobcats, which, I mean, you don't want to be on the wrong end of a bobcat attack either. But, you know, the panther thing, like, that's going to kill me <laughs> unless I kill it. So yeah, you just you just need bigger dogs like our that's what they use these dogs out west because of higher predator load for bears and, and mountain lions. Yeah. Well, and that's interesting how the wildlife is changing here. I I don't know. I've been thinking a lot this week about, you know, people are always like, how can you live in X, Y, Z location? Because they have poisonous snakes or they have tornadoes or they have wildflower fires. And I'm like, where where can I live where there's not a risk of some sort? I can't think of anywhere. I'm going to get avalanched or lightninged or bitten by a snake or a spider or roasted to death. I don't even know. Like there's a million ways I can die all over the planet and that's the human condition. So knowing what the dangers are is super helpful and how to avoid them, but not living somewhere because of a snake is not probably a thing I'm going to do. I just so want to know the snake is there. Tad's, Tad's son was just bit by a copperhead last week. Um, yep. which is, which is the, if you get to choose your venomous snake, that's the, the least of them for sure. Yeah. Um, and they transported him to Vanderbilt, but they didn't give him crow, crow fab, um, until the following day. So his arm, and he's a little eight year old kid, his arm was literally the size of a baseball bat and it's dripping out of the puncture wounds on the finger. And for some reason they didn't dose him till the next day. Um, huh. he's home now, the swelling's down. I was bit October 1st, 86. And I, I was given antivenom within within the hour and yeah. six bottles of antivenom went home the next day. And then, you know, uh, steroids and stuff for the next six. I milked it. I was out of high school um, for six weeks with that. Snake <laughs> um, but I found it interesting that they did not dose him until over almost 24 hours later, which made no sense, especially as small as he was. But it doesn't make yeah. sense with the size. It is pretty standard that they'll evaluate symptoms. And a lot of times they will. 
yeah, only track them with a copperhead because, but the antivenom also helps a lot with preventing localized necrosis, which is a yeah. real risk. Like almost nobody dies of a copperhead. I think in the last 20 years, there's been like four verified documented deaths from copperheads in the United States. And one was to do that was bit like four times and then went home and drank a beer. Yeah. Like, no. and then like two were like straight up anaphylaxis, like dying from a bee sting. And the other one was a legitimate, like dude got bit, sought treatment, still died. Right. And didn't yeah. really go anaphylactic, but it's still like, that's crazy. Like, yeah, especially at Vanderbilt. No. And luckily no debridement, no fasciotomy or anything. Yeah. Um, it, I just found it odd. And I thought I was just telling you, cause I know, you know, you know, yeah. about that. So yeah, I had my of, experience in 91. It was, yeah. Yeah. We had a we had a beagle got bit hit right on the face and uh, took him to you know emergency care four four towns over major city um, seven hundred and fifty dollars later and what did they do they gave him Benadryl and they're like hey you need to treat this dog for fleas like they didn't do shit for that yeah, dog yeah yeah dogs usually either make it or they don't his face was swelled up yeah. twice like the size of his head and he's drooling and. Yeah, there is like, a rattlesnake vaccine for dogs now. I just don't know if it really works or not. Um, huh. We don't have them here. I mean, we do, but right here, like I've been here 10 years. I haven't seen a copperhead or a rattler one here. Um, yeah. Now, the people that live down by the lake that are only a couple miles from me, they were always on next door. Copperheads, copperheads. You're like, oh, shut up. Everything's a copperhead. They started posting pictures. I'm like, no, they got because they copperhead. like they're, they're cousins to the water moccasin base. Yep. So they're both a Kiskadon species, and they're down there like crazy. We never have seen a single one. And we've even had some of, like, the Nerodias, like the Plain Belly Water Snakes and stuff, show up here. Like, what are you doing here? Like, yeah. trying to eat my toads. Like, what do you do? Go back <laughs> to the lake. <laughs> yep. But but you produce such great toads. Yeah, in I your guess that's it. System. With the rain this year, the toad population's back, and they're back in force, man. It's been it's beautiful that night. Like it's a serenade of those guys out there. Last year, even the toads were like, "Screw this! It's too dry, man. I'm migrating." <laughs> that has nothing to do with what we're supposed to be talking about, does it? What are we supposed to be talking about, Jack? I don't remember the, the failure of the dollar's reserve status. Just yeah, except it's happening and it's going to suck, and you better start building your life if you are not already. Yeah, that's that, that's the thing. I told Jack like I'm going to be learning from this episode today because I don't pay real close attention to that. Yeah. Other than being aware it's going to happen because I can't change it. And the best thing I can do is be more resilient here to the best of my ability and hopefully not lose all my stuff. But it's, you know, and that's a very selfish way to look at it, but that's the only way I had to look at it. Right. Like I'm, I am this far from having the hauler paid off right now. I, owe I don't think it's 11 K. If, if there was something you could be doing for humanity that would yeah. prevent the collapse of the dollar and it would benefit the whole world and you didn't do it, then I would call that selfish. Yeah. I don't believe that thing exists. No. And the most selfless thing you can do is share what you're doing with others, which is what you do as a podcaster. So I don't right. think it's selfish at all in the negative connotation. I think that people need to be more selfish in the positive connotation. And that means like putting yourself first. Well, that also means like putting your, your needs first. And so the more people can be selfish in a positive way, the less they can be sponges on society. Like you can't share anything until you have more than you need. Right. Right. That's, that's how it works. I, I didn't say want. I said need. You have to have more than you need to be able to share it because if you need something, you don't have it. You go tits up and you die. Right. So you have to generate surplus for yourself to have something to share with others. 
that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with like local economies. Like you want a local economy well, you need to start building some value and putting it into your local economy. Um, have you ever like the like John you've kept fish. So like you put your hand in the water and all the fish come because they yeah. have food. Right. Or yesterday I was at one of my ponds and I was just pulling some gunk out of the, uh, some of the edge plants. Yeah. And, like that was actually causing little plankton I can't see and whatever. And all the mosquito fish were coming in. They were eating like crazy. Right. So that's yep. value being added to an ecosystem and it immediately attracts attention. That's how the economics work. When you start actually creating value and you make like those fish had to know, I couldn't just say, Hey fish, there's food over here. That's not going to work. Like I had to do something that communicated in their language that there was food and then they came. So that's what marketing is. Marketing is communicating in a language that your market will understand and respond to. And if you do that, you attract value. Now you can build an economy until you do that. You're just, you're talking. So here's one. Won't people who grow food be able to pay off debt fast with hyperinflation? Probably not. So the, the thing about hyperinflation is as pricing goes up, there's still the need for the money part of that to buy the thing if you're using the monetary system. And so when you look at how that went down in Weimar, Germany, it it became it actually became a catalyst of scarcity. Yeah. And yeah. the better thing at that point is to trade the food for something else I need if I'm yeah. producing a surplus of food, for example. We're not getting Weimar, Germany. That's yeah. been something they've used to sell you silver and gold for freaking 100 years. Um what we get, like I said, they'll contract. And so what you may end up with is actually a currency shortage, a deflationary spiral. Or you get something like the 70s where you had stagflation, where you had inflation and deflation counteracting yeah. each other. Like, yeah. Who paid off their house with easy money in the 1970s? The answer is nobody. 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 That's, that's who. Nobody. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't use it as an excuse to get into debt. Let me put it that way. Um, if it works out that way, great. But I mean, you have a capital scarcity. Then like I, I have debt on my home right now that I could pay off. Mm -hmm. I don't want to. I have a two and three quarter percent interest rate. Right. I, I make money on that deal right now. Do on my home. Yeah. Then get rid of that debt. Right. I, I'm not worried about it all. And I'm, 25% of value on the loan. I'm 75% in equity. Like if I didn't have at least that, I'd probably go out and borrow that much against it or would have when interest rates made sense. Cause that's mm -hmm. the other side of this. Like, so you have this inflationary spot. We also have this increasing the interest interest rates and we don't really know what they're going to do because they're totally screwed. I mean, I guess coming back around where we started, what you have to understand is like these banks have failed. They didn't fail because of risky investments. They didn't fail because of crypto. They right. failed because during the, all the COVID bullshit, the federal government, the Federal Reserve told all these banks to buy freaking treasury bonds, which are the gold standard for the safest bonds ever. And they bought all these bonds with like, you know, these super low interest rates on them because it was just nepotism. We'll give you money. Now you buy the bond. And we'll just make entries in ledgers and all be good. Well, then interest rates went up and these banks, when they had shortfalls, they had to sell the gold standard safest investment in the world for less than they paid for it. So they couldn't cover the other side. So the investment that was risky was a United States government freaking treasury bond. 
That's what destroyed these banks. And every bank's in the same situation. It's just a matter of how much shit they can move around to cover it up so that people don't run their banks. So all this shit about, well, all the big banks, those are secure because they said so. Not because they are. There isn't a bank out there that could cover the spread if this shit triggered on them right now. Not one. The reality is what they're doing now is they're trying to funnel depositors into the big banks. That's what they came out with the scare tech. Oh, the big banks are safe. You should get out of your little bank. And then what's his name? Um, the guy from Shark Tank. I had hit his, a clip of his on a couple of weeks ago. Kevin O'Leary. That jackass. He was on Fox News and he said, we, we, we don't need regional banks anymore. We need four to six giant nationalized banks, and that's it. Nobody cares about a regional bank anymore. They just want to make sure their payroll goes through. So if you can reduce the total number of banks, and by the way, Mr. O'Leary said it's still okay, John. You can still buy stock in them. (laughs) Then you've got your your funnel for your CBDC because you don't even actually have to have a CBDC. All you have to have is a digital currency issued by the banks individually because there's only four or six of them. You throw it all under FDIC, and you have a de facto CBDC run by the private banking system. Because you didn't think they were going to give up the power, did you? Like, everybody thinks the government is the source of the CBDC. Right. Ridiculous. The Federal Reserve is not going to give away their ability to print money to the government back unless the government ever actually takes it from them. And they own the government. So this is always going to stay on the side of the banks. And I think it's their final, like, Hail Mary pass to try to stave off the inflation if they can do it quick enough before all these other CBDCs around the world are implemented. And a person walking around in Europe or Asia or whatever could just get a wallet and start basically transacting in the equivalent of Tether. But underneath the FDIC then everybody would dollarize very, very rapidly throughout the world, except for the countries we've pissed off. And they'll probably go under the Chinese currency. And then we divide the world into that dichotomy. That'll be just wonderful. It'll be great. Well, you know, you'll <laughs> teach the world a lesson, I guess. Uh, the lesson is that nobody should have the power of monetary creation. That's that's the lesson. That's the lesson. Yep. It, it can't end any other way than this. It always ends. Every time you create the ability to print money, it ends this way. It always looks a little different, but it's always the same pattern. We won't abuse the one ring of power. And five <laughs> minutes later, I have the power. Right. And we will abuse the power. That's why crypto turned into a shit show. Other than Bitcoin, because the temptation to print money is something a human being is likely unable to resist. Why would, yeah. I, why would I use your money if I can literally just roll out a freaking ticker symbol symbol Put it on a few exchanges, raise $30 million in a, in, a, in a way that can't really be interfered with yet, and then go out and blow the money. Why wouldn't I do that? Either I have ethics and I won't, or I don't have ethics, and there's a lot of people like that, and I will. So the government, like, the government hates crypto because the crypto people are just doing what the governments have been doing for hundreds of years, printing money out of thin air. Yeah. So and- what, rises, what rises from it? We'll see. I think there's a there's a good chance that a lot of people choose Bitcoin as their reserve currency because it's one thing you cannot fuck with. You can even fuck with gold. And then you also like transactions. Like the problem gold has is I can't move it. Right. Yeah. If, I, if I have a bar of gold here and the, yeah. a piece of gold this big would be worth what, about 15 grand. And I want to buy ten dollars worth of gummy bears from John. 
how, how do I send you $10 worth of my gold bar? Right. Well, I put the gold bar into some sort, sort of banking type institution and they make an electric accounting transaction based on my gold reserve and your gold reserve. So now we're back to the banks. So if I'm using a cryptocurrency, and in my case, I would say Bitcoin, then I just send John $5 and John sends me my gummy bears or $10. He sends me my gummy bears and I get the fixed supply. And, and so I think there's but I think it'll it'll be factions. I don't think everybody's going to do that. I think some people will line up for the C. I mean, a lot of people. That's are totally going to happen. CBDCs because it'll be what they'll do is they'll create some version of um, what do they call that shit where everybody gets money? Um, UBI. UBI. Yeah, universal basic income. Okay. Yep. So why wouldn't you take your free money? And they'll put what they're going to do because China already does this. They'll put a it. expiration date on your money. So John, you get your UBI. It's nine hundred dollars, eight hundred dollars, a thousand dollars a month. But if you don't spend it, it expires. And they'll also say, well, you can't spend it on certain things. You won't be able to spend it on guns. You won't be able to spend it on Bitcoin. You, maybe you have to buy the bugs with it. I don't know. But that's why I'm, I'm not I'm just not going to live that way. I'm just not. Yeah. Now, if they want to send me their CBDCs and I can buy shit I was going to buy anyway with it. Well, that's more of real money for me. And, and I'll, I'll, people, I'll never take it. Well, you're stupid. I'll take any money they give me. I'm just not going to be dependent on it. Uh, this is this situation is going to incite more rage, though. Oh, the rage is about to go stupid. The rage because there's going to be the UBI thing. There are going to be people who don't take it. Yeah. Rage against that. Then there's going to be rage when it disappears. And then there's going to be there's going to be a whole rich people, poor people rage situation out of this that we, we know it's coming. Yeah. Well, and there's going to be a lot of these people in all this this transactivism. That's eventually going to get the choke chain jerked on it. And those people are going to go nuts because they've been led to believe that they're right and victory is imminent. So that's going to create rage. We, we mm -hmm. seem to have forgotten about kind of all the race based hatred underneath BLM because we have a new minority that's oppressed to use. That's the establishment has switched. If you've noticed that you don't hear a lot about the needs of black people in America. Right now, it's all about the trans people and the queer yeah. theory and all this other shit. And they, of course, they still bring it up. And of course, white people are still the worst. Right. And it's the whitest white people who live in the whitest neighborhoods on the planet telling you that just for the record. Right. These are people that are on TV all week long in these major networks and they literally flee to the Hamptons the second the weekend hits. Yeah. Yep. All right. And, and, and so that all is a powder keg. You've got these cities that are just on the like people are ready to lose their freaking minds. They're going to charge a former president in a completely political crime. I really hope none of the freaking stupid Trump tarts started that gone even an inkling of a riot today in New York City because they'll turn yes. it in January 6, 2.0. Like, and I think they want a freaking violent meltdown and they don't care which side fire. They just want the fight because then they can step in and step on the throats. And as I just keep saying, get the hell away from these heavy population centers. You don't even have to get that far away. Just get far enough away that, that you can't when you get to the part where when you open your side window and you spit as hard as you can into the wind, you don't hit your neighbor's house. You've gotten to a place where you're probably going to be OK until you do that. And I don't mean the big, nice houses. I mean, all the houses they are spread out at least enough. You can't spit on each other. Then you're probably going to be OK, because. 
People flee into the cities during this shit for whatever reason it is. The people that cause trouble go where the population is and where the resources are, and that's where they are. They're not out where a guy like, you know, me or somebody else is just going to go, well, I don't know. I never saw him. He he wasn't here. That's where the the food lines are, right? That's where the handouts are. And if you want to see who's going to get on those systems, who took all the – the the vax right who took who took all the things right who would have thought that people would have jumped on like they did with that well it's gonna you're giving out free money or what what could be free money right there's going to be even more of those and as far as fleeing the cities you just need to be far enough that when your neighbor's house catches on fire yours won't catch on fire yeah yeah Okay, I got one here. I got a question for John on feeding dogs. I know you feed rabbits and chicken eggs, but I'm curious how many rabbits it takes a week to feed a large dog. I have a 130-pound Rottweiler. So we have so many chickens and ducks laying eggs right now that my dogs aren't even hungry. They're not all laying in nest boxes. They're just laying wherever, and we know where some of the Easter egg spots are, where there's always a chicken under a tarp or something. The dogs are literally eating so many eggs right now for the last several months that they are not hungry at all. When I go to feed them, they don't even eat. I killed two roosters today, put them on the ground. The dog sniffed them and looked at me and was like, what do you want me to do with this thing? Um, So I don't know what the real answer is. The real answer is probably that I'm feeding my dogs much more than they need. Um, But... Your rabbits are huge. I mean, I could club somebody. Yeah, yeah. My rabbits are big. Um, Yeah. And I I have probably 60 rabbits right now. I've been thinning. I have so many chickens and rabbits right now that I need to dispatch. I don't have enough dogs to actually eat them all. I'm very, very good at making meat. Um, so my dogs, my dogs run around like you'll go out and you're like, what's that dog have? And it's the head and an arm of a rabbit. And people yeah. are like, Oh my God. When they yeah. see it, um, I will give them food and then not give them food for a few days and they'll show up with a piece of, you know, rotted rabbit. They just, they just sit them there until they get stinky and then they just kind of chew on them. So, the real answer is I don't know, and my dogs are probably um, eating. They they can eat whenever they want. Yeah, so it's funny because I have 80-pound dogs plus the LGDs. I, I texted Joel Riles the other day because we're starting to transition to raw for some of them based on what we can produce here, and I said – how many rabbits for an 80 pound dog? And he said, I would start with a rabbit every other day, make sure they eat all of it. Like they have access to all of it. He's like, you're also going to want to feed a place where you don't have to smell what happens next because sometimes they decide to age it. Um, And he went into some more detail and he basically said, start there, watch the dog's condition and see if it's getting too fat, feed it less. If it's losing too much weight, feed it more. Based on that and based on the dog sizes I have, I realized I need probably 10 does here, eight to 10 does if I want to keep up on that with rabbits only. Yeah. You know, we have other things, but. And that would be only because like eggs are great dogs food. Yeah. Yeah. You know, unless you have really... like Lucy, Lucy won't eat raw eggs. Well, that sounds very finicky of her. <laughs> but Lucy would probably eat them if you just cracked them over a little bit of kibble, just a tiny bit of kibble and put the it. No. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and then right. with the rabbits too, when you start feeding rabbits and your dog's never seen one, yeah, they don't know what to do. Um, take take a pair of scissors and just cut that belly <laughs> open. And once they can get to those guts, once you do that yes. a couple times, you won't have to do that. Then they understand. Anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Like there yep. is a, there is a learning curve for everything, including a dog on on something new and different. Yeah. 
our our dogs eat the feathers and everything, and it, it cleans that whole system out as they come out. Yep. Okay, so I'm going to bring up one from earlier. Self-doubt is the biggest obstacle to oneself. Find the 75 hard challenge and stick to it. You will change. Uh, I don't know if you know this, John, but Thomas, the, the guy who was doing on compound parking for SRF, he's in the middle of that right now. Awesome. I drive out and I say, do you need anything at Walmart? And he kind of looks shifty eyed at me and he said, oh, this is going to sound really weird. I don't need an expensive pair, but can you buy me a cheap pair of running shoes in this size? Yep. And and then he felt compelled to tell me why. He was in the middle of 75 hard, and he was going to work out with or without the shoes, but he had left his running shoes at home. And he did. Yeah. He he kept it going through the festival. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's two 45-minute workouts. One has to be outside. Both can, rain or shine. You take a p- photograph of yourself every day. You read 10 pages of a book. Follow some kind of diet. Any diet doesn't matter what diet. Um, there's a few other things. Drink a gallon of water, uh, cold shower. Yeah, well, and not, cold shower wasn't on the list when I saw it, but you have to post a picture of yourself every day with the not hashtag. Post. You don't have to post. Well, you oh. didn't have to post before. I don't think you just had to take a picture. Oh, take a picture. Yeah, and then if you miss any one of those things on any one of the reset. days, you reset till you can do zero. It seventy-five straight days. No beer. And no al- No alcohol. Yeah. I see it like that has had a real uptick in our network. I've seen a ton of people doing that challenge. Never heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. MT brand has been killing it. Yeah. He made like 45 days in, he had lost 16 pounds and he he told me he's feeling great. You know, I'm not going to share, but you know, I noticed that when I went into keto and stopped drinking the way I used to drink, I was like, I guess I I was hung over all the time. As it turns out, <laughs> when you go off is when you realize how big the change is. Yeah. So having aches and joints again and stuff, you're like, wait a minute, this is inflammation yeah. because I ate a freaking Dorito or something. Yeah, or a roll, roll with butter. Like a good, <laughs> good sourdough roll with butter is always good. And it always results in wheat knee. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wheat knee. So, Jack, are you still taking Q-Seritin and zinc daily? I am not. Um, I am now taking it only during, like, cold and flu season. Mm-hmm. I, just, um, I think it's a good thing. It's a good, it's a good mediation of uh, viral diseases. It works really well. It's a good preventative, but it's not something you need to live on. Yeah. I do it. Also, when I know I'm going to be exposed to a bunch of strangers before an event, I'll do it, yeah. week, you know, like the week before SRF and the week after. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm going to uh, California on vacation later this month. I'll probably start a course of it because I'm going to be on an airplane with people. You're going to be on a viral containment device for yeah. hours. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not worried I'm going to die or nothing. But, you know, if I can avoid having a viral infection that's annoying in the middle of a vacation, I only get a couple of years. So. Yeah, because that's that's I'm glad that person asked that because I really hadn't thought about it. But yeah. Yeah. What yeah. I do take every day is a significant amount of D3. Yes. Every day. That's that's my one thing that I do every single day is D3. I take 30, 30,000 I use of D um, that's what every I do. night right as I'm going to bed. And if like SRF the day afterwards, I started kind of feeling throat maybe a little bit. So I took Q-certain and zinc. I take that for a couple of days and then. 
I don't take it unless I'm going to be around groups of people or if I start to feel something coming on. Like it used to be that I'd, I'd take a bunch of vitamin C, you know, when you kind of feel yeah. like you're getting sick. Now it's Q-certain and zinc. So um, the other thing I take is K2 because K2 balances the D3. Like if you get in any kind of excess, then the other thing I would say, if you're going to do the zinc thing regularly over time, you should be taking zinc that has a small amount of copper in it. Yeah. Uh, and the, the one I recommend is on my website at the survival podcast.com. Yeah, um, that one is swallowable for those of us who have trouble swallowing zinc. It's, it's very swallowable, but a yeah. doctor reached out to me and I, I, for those that are new to, to, to my stuff, I developed that when COVID really started ramping up and it later became recommended protocol by several physicians. But but I, I believe personally I was the first one to develop the quisertin zinc stacking along with a few other things for COVID. And a doctor reached out to me and I, he said, I listened to everything you had to say. I figured you're full of shit. You're not. <laughs> he, he's like, everything you said made sense. Everything I researched you claimed was there. But one thing you need to add is copper because if you're taking zinc, excess zinc regularly it competes in your gut biome for absorption with copper and you can develop a copper deficiency which can cause a lot of like things that mimic things like oh i don't know uh, chronic fatigue syndrome and stuff like that so so here's an interesting one on that topic i took thirty thousand d for one year my blood serum didn't move a bit and that happened to me um in a negative way like i couldn't get it to go higher and I was combining it with fat. So you need to combine D with fat. DK yeah. helps with absorption, but you need to balance that with if K makes your heart do weird things. I yeah. changed brands of D. Okay. And yeah. within a That's week, cool. it made, so some people respond differently to different vitamin Ds. And, and I was working with a doctor at the time. He said, well, try this other brand of D and see if that works. And that's what did it for me. And the other thing is if you're overweight and gaining weight, you will almost chronically be D deficient because it's fat soluble, which means it also stores in fat. Mm -hmm. So as you're gaining weight, your body is grabbing D and it's putting it into your fat. And this is how humans were supposed to work. We would put on fat during the fall. And then we had a D three battery to get us through winter when it was not sunny sunshine and we were not making D three and it's designed to use fat as a battery. And there's some other nutrients to do that as well. And uh, if you are, obese and growing you know one, before i lost all the weight I, my d3 levels were stupid low and i'm outside all the time i mean all the time and so just losing weight made my my d3 levels go up yeah i don't think your body i don't think we absorb d from the sunlight like we used to we've just spent too much time not doing it but you have to get a lot of exposure like you know if you're running around and, and, and you don't want to get sunburned or whatever but i mean uh really you need to be out in the peak of the sun of the day with as much skin exposed as possible because that's how we evolved. We didn't, we weren't born with t-shirts on, right? We, we were born outside. We lived outside. We didn't even have shoes for most of our existence as a species. And so the way we live today is not species appropriate to our evolution. So then we need like, and I'm not advocating, let's all go run around naked in the woods and roll in the mud. Yeah, you if are we're not going to do that. Then we need to we need to use modern chemistry to account for what we've screwed up. And I think that's one that I, I believe that most people, even when they get their D3 levels checked and their doctor said, oh, it's normal. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's normal means you're the average of everybody in the line at the state fair waiting on a pretzel. Yeah, normal, that's what normal means. And 
you guys know this because you listen to, to my stuff, but the, the number that's considered too high for D3 is like 100 microliters or something like yeah. that. You know, uh, that is a completely arbitrary number that was made up in a time when it was an emergency in the minds of the people that did it because we were heading into World War freaking two and we were in the middle of the Great Depression and they discovered this D thing and they called it a vitamin. It's not even a vitamin. It's a hormone. And we had a, a, a an epidemic of rickets in this country and children where their legs don't form right because they're deficient in D3. And they figured out if we give this shit to them, they can walk right. And that means that they'll be ready to go to war in another couple of years. So we need to feed them this stuff. And they knew it was they thought it was a vitamin because they didn't understand it. And they knew some vitamins had overdose thresholds. So they calculated what they thought the overdose threshold was at 300. And they said, well, did they need that much? No. So they arbitrarily divided the recommended maximum by three for no reason other than it had to be rushed through. And it's this is the 20s, late 20s, early 30s. And it's still that way today. And no one is even willing to have a discussion about it. And we constantly warn people, if you take too much vitamin D, you'll die. Yeah. And it's ridiculous. It's absolutely positively ridiculous. A person that's walking around with a, you know, 100, 120 uh, microliter uh, measurement of D3 is probably not going to get random variety viruses and stuff. They're just not going to get them. Or if they do, they won't know it. Well, thanks, Joseph, for the super chat, wherever that is. Mm-hmm. And uh, I do know, Jack, your time is running out. Uh, yep. John wants to get back to saving the world at the SOE compound. So let's go once around the horn and just say whatever you want to say. We'll start with you, John. Uh, dude asked about medical backpack. Just send an email through the website and we'll discuss that. Uh, we put a new shirt out. This one says, uh, what does it say? <laughs> speed, speed surprise violence of action. That's our new shirt this week. Um, I do a live feed every night at nine o'clock on YouTube. If I'm not there, you can find me on Facebook. It's because I'm banned on YouTube occasionally. And we put out a ton of content um, about a lot of different things. I'm very easy to find. Just jump in and any night ask whatever you want to ask and we will talk about it. Awesome. Jack, what do you got for us? Well, first, I'm going to real quick answer gratitude to Grace's question. Is it hard to transition a dog from store-bought kibble to raw food? Or even if, like, we feed our dogs now chicken and we do cook it. And we pressure cook the bones separately so that they are completely easily consumed. And the answer is no. They are very happy to eat stuff like that. The other answer, though, is it may change their uh, toilet habits, for, especially for a few weeks. So if you do not have an outside dog, I would recommend feeding very early and putting doggy out, uh, and then you take it from there on your own. Now, uh, as far as me, check out the survivalpodcast.com, where we have a new podcast every day, five days a week, Monday through Friday, and this will be today's podcast because I'm tired. (laughs) That sounds perfect to me. (laughs) All right, well, I look forward to these chats every month because I never know where it's going to go, and it always goes in a surprising direction, as it did again. I knew we were going to talk about the petrodollar and the, the GDP thing, but... Uh, I always learn a ton from these and get inspired, which is awesome at the beginning of a month where it's time to produce and the beginning of every month it's time to produce as, as is the end of every month. But so thanks for making time for this to guys. Um, if you were interested in the Dolce Guatemala bean, apparently I had a database glitch on my website and it was showing out of stock. It is, it was only the medium roast. But it is totally in stock, and I fixed the database glitch while we were sitting here. So grab it while you can, because when that one's gone, it's gone. It's a seasonal bean. 
If you love delicious coffee, head on over to hollerroast.com and order it. I roast to order. I roast to order. So you will have, yeah, unicorns, farting, rainbows right there. And so sometimes it takes a few days to produce, but we get it out to you as fast as we can. Also, I have a podcast, also five days a week, livingfreeintennessee.com. Today's podcast will also be this show. Because I too am tired. Well, it's yes. always first Tuesday is always. So next Tuesday we'll be on back to twelve thirty on this on all of these channels except for TSP with guess who? Joel Salatin. Oh wow, cool. That's always a yeah. good one. It's gonna be a fun one. We'll see you then, guys. Are they gonna bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house. The American way A dollar down, a dollar a month And you never have to pay There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way